Hello and welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where we get together and discuss issues impacting food, fuel, fiber, farming. That's right, the industry we know, the industry we work in, the industry we love, the industry most of us were raised in. It's the Business of Agriculture. We've got a great show for you today because we're going to talk about distorted reality. Distorted reality, the effects of tariffs and trade on agriculture. We know that it's impacting us. We know that we are a trading industry. In fact, we are one of the few industries in the United States of America that has a trade surplus, uh, you know, a positive trade balance, if you will. We, we actually send more food and agricultural products overseas than we import. So that's a good thing. I also have Canadian listeners to this show. We're going to, dis- we're going to today discuss that big new settlement, the new NAFTA, which is actually called USMCA. So we're going to cover that. I've got a tremendous guest. He's a friend of the show. He's been on here before. His name is Dennis Haugen. He's from Hannaford, North Dakota. Smart guy, farms several thousand acres up there, has a grain cleaning business, also has business interests in Australia. In addition to that, he has his own, own proprietary radish product for soil compaction and cover cropping. So pretty smart guy. He's going to join us because he keeps up with global markets and what is happening with prices and commodities all over the world. Dennis Hogan, welcome to the show. Good to talk to you again, Damien. Okay, we're always happy to have you on here. We're going to cover a lot of stuff. We're going to cover a lot of ground, and I think it's important that the folks listening right here keep an open mind. For instance, if you're a Canadian, don't be mad. I didn't sign anything. Dennis didn't sign anything. He's a hell of a lot closer to Canada than me. I mean, he's in Hannaford, North Dakota, which most people here in the U.S. think North Dakota is Canada. It's like one of the 11 provinces. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think you also need to keep an open mind because I'm going to say some things that are based in fact and reality and economics. And fact, economics and reality don't always have a fuzzy, cuddly, coddling nature. In other words, you might want to be mad because you're going to say, I'm out here fighting. Things aren't rosy in agriculture, Damien. You know, I'm having a hard time making it. I didn't create that reality, and I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just telling you, first and foremost, this is what we're going to get into in our first topic. Believe it or not, tariffs are not the reason that we have the commodity prices we have. Dennis, expand on that for me. Well, people get a little caught up in that uh, opinion, but, you know, you got to remember, and a lot of people aren't aware of this, in public anyway, we are looking at the largest corn and soybean crop in the history of the United States. Now, you're going to have low prices when we got a monster crop staring us in the face. Yeah, I've gotten a few people that get mad at me because I say, hey, I'm not getting into the political side of this. I happen to be a supporter of Trump's trade initiative because I do believe that China has been taking advantage of a lot of our, uh, shall we say, uh, friendliness over the last two decades. They got the World Trade Organization uh, special treatment. They do steal our intellectual property. And because they are a big customer, we have been, especially in ag, very willing to just turn you know the other cheek and say, okay, we don't care how your practices are. Just keep buying our soybeans. 60% of our soybeans go to the United States, is my understanding. $20 billion of ag exports go just to China. 
So I have some people in ag that sort of get mad at me because they're saying, well, you don't have any skin in the game, which is not really true. I own 280 acres here in, in Indiana. I cash rent it out. Well, that's clearly uh, I have a vested interest. I want my guy that rents my ground to be able to make a living. But when that tenant tell him, I said, tariffs didn't create low commodity prices, supply did. Expand on that. You talked about just here in the U.S. It's happening well, everywhere. You know, you got to look at, you know, the, just let's just talk about the soybean market. It started fading off pretty good in July. Um, you know, the market hates uncertainty. Um, so there was an impending trade war coming on, but in the background, which people weren't paying attention to, is this largest crop in history coming coming up the nippus in the butt. And, you know, it's here now. I mean, I hear talk of 80 to 100 bushel soybeans in the Corn Belt. Well, the market has to go down when it hears news like this. Yeah, my understanding is USDA, the last estimates were here in about mid-September. They said 181 bushel corn was the USDA estimate. The trade estimate was a touch lower than that by like maybe a bushel. 53 bushel beans was the estimate, say September 15th or 18th. The trade said 52.2, so we're within a half a bushel or a bushel on that. Ending stocks, 2 billion bushels of corn, 400 million bushel of beans. So that's quite a bit of carryover. Is that a record carryover? It could be if, depends on the, you know, how things play out here. But, you know, one thing that's really surprised me right now that a lot of people haven't mentioned anything about is the soybean market is 47 cents off its lows today. 47 cents off its lows. And, it's, and they're going to say, well, it's because we struck a deal with Canada. That was never our issue. Uh, it's not because... We yeah, but you know what? I mean, for the soybean market to come off its lows by 47 cents in the middle of harvest, uh, you know what? The market is always right. Uh, by the way, that's that's a great statement right there that a lot of people uh, need to hear more regularly. The market is always right because the market's doing what the supply and demand force it to do. Here's the thing. We got tremendous supply, and I have had people that say, well, Damien, if it's not about tariffs, how is it that the soybean prices started to slide immediately when there was talk about tariffs? I say, well, correlation is not causation. Now, first off, what happened early on was talk of tariffs. China was more than willing to let that bad news emanate and almost rattle it around as much as they could because the more they drove down prices, the more they got a good deal on buying soybeans. But the other exactly. part is we were heading into spring and summer. We started looking at what things were looking like, and we started seeing fields getting planted pretty early. We saw pretty favorable weather conditions, so we kept saying, oh, my God, we don't need all these soybeans, and that's what really drove down the prices. Tariffs don't help. Don't get me wrong. We want to trade. We know that there's a benefit to trade, but tariffs didn't create these low prices. Correlation is not causation. Last thought on that, and then we're going to talk about the grain embargo. Well, you know, it just, I mean, you just got to look at, uh, you know, people just weren't paying attention to how big a crop we had coming. That's basically the bottom line. Okay, so Dennis is a little older than me, dear listener. I'm 49 years old, and I have a degree in agricultural economics, and I was out there on the dairy farm growing up in the 1980s when it was an absolute shit fest. <laughs> it was as bad as things. I always tell that, and I know if you've listened to my podcast before, here's all I'm going to tell you. It's not, it's not I was walking uphill both ways in blizzards. I'm not going to pull that on you. I'm just going to point it out. If you want to know how bad the 80s were, 
some assets were so, so bad off, the bank wouldn't even repossess them. That's a true story. And right here in Indiana and in nationwide, things were so bad, the bank wouldn't even take a defaulted asset back. That's how bad things were. So you can say, well, there was a grain embargo. Jimmy Carter instituted the grain embargo there in 1979, 1980. That's the reason that the 80s ag bust happened. Dennis, your view. Well, first thing it was, uh, you know, Carter administration, my opinion, weren't, weren't very good business people. The second thing is, we were in a cold war with Russia, and a lot of people forget about that. You know, and that was a pretty big deal at the time. Uh, we got the old missile bases around North Dakota here to prove it. But, uh, you know, it's just, back then there was so much supply. I mean, there was, up in our country was wheat country. We had wheat going into bins, going into storage for two, three, four, four years because there was just so much around. I mean, we were seeing grain, we were seeing wheat prices with, sometimes with discounts that had a two in front of them. Yeah. So here's the thing, as far as, uh, as, far as if you want a little economics uh, on this and some reality of history, as much as we want to blame today's $8 soybeans or $3.60 corn or what have you on what's going on with the, um, uh, the tariffs, there's another reality of the situation, and that is that we have such a supply. The grain embargo did not help. And over time, it taught other countries that they could grow commodities that formerly had been grown mostly in the U.S. You can't say these tariffs that just were instituted in July had uh, an ability to, you can't put a tariff in and then boost worldwide supply because of the tariff by September, October. It's just an impossibility because we know you can't grow a crop that quickly. The other aspect of it is in the 1980s, we had 18 to 20% interest. We had plummeting land values because of the glut of product. We had over leverage as well as some other issues going on. So what's happening right now is not necessarily because of tariffs. Also, if there's 47 cents off the low on soybeans, is it because people are starting to feel euphoric about it again and trade? I don't know. It's also because they're seeing an actual demand for the product. Well, you know, when you look at, you look at corn prices, you know, they're hanging in there fairly well. And you look at the charts on them, you look at down the road a year from now, you know, I mean, not even a year from now, but a few months from now, when we get our year end stocks report and, you know, there is a lot of corn that disappeared here in the last three months. Yeah. So did low prices create a little bit more demand because it's, uh, you know, low, low cure for low prices, low prices. Uh, did some more demand come in just because it was cheap? Well, it just all boils down to the supply and demand thing. There's a lot of demand right now. Let's talk about USMCA, formerly known as NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement, was instituted, I believe, in 1994 under Bill Clinton's presidency. Uh, a lot of manufacturing happened that didn't happen over those years. Uh, a lot of things happened here in the Rust Belt, where I'm from, some of it negative. Obviously, that's what Trump capitalized on. Some manufacturing went south to Mexico. I had predicted that Canada would get in line on this new agreement because they need us. They are 38, billion, 38 million people. We are 320 or 330 million people. So we're about nine and a half times the size of Canada. And we are also, we have all the highways between Canada and Mexico. So I said, Canada is going to come along on this. Tell me what you think, because I'll tell you what I think about the new USMCA. Well, you know, I'm glad it got taken care of. I mean, I, 
I do trade my, my own company with Canada. Uh, you know, I work with exporting out of the U.S. Uh, you know, I the new NAFTA deal is good. I mean, we sell barley to Mexico. I, uh, um, um, I don't know what that was. It sounds like you've got a train whistle in your office. <laughs> it was a text message. I apologize. Okay. Uh, so here's what I'm going to say happened as far as the new NAFTA, the USMCA. Not a whole hell of a lot has changed. It's going to be a change on production of automobiles. It's going to favor uh, probably North American production of automobiles more so than production happening in uh, foreign countries. But, you know, these foreign countries are putting 25% tariffs on U.S. cars, and we had a 2.5%. So maybe that's not all bad to get that worked out. The other thing, the Canadians, I believe, I love you, Canada. You hire me. I come up there. I do speak engagements. I love working with you people. But can we just please admit that there's a little bit of a dramatic overreaction I saw on Twitter yesterday, they showed that little image of a kid getting ran over by a, a, a car or something. It said, this is what just happened to farmers in Canada. Now, are we really going to be that dramatic? 3.6% of the marketplace on dairy was opened up to U.S. dairy production. So you're going to give us 3.6% to the dairy farmers here in the U.S. Is that really going to impact Canada and agriculture in Canada that gravely? Dennis. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what happens in my backyard. I mean, uh, um, there is a lot of North Dakota corn that goes to Canada because they, Canada just can't grow enough corn for their livestock. On the other hand, we have a lot of Canadian dirt that comes down here to make spaghetti. I mean, it's a, it's a two-way street and we need trade. Yeah, and I think it's all going to, you know, we weren't that far apart. I guess maybe Trump and Trudeau have a personal issue, but I don't see that we were that far apart, and I don't see this actually being so uh, negatively impactful. But I told you, I saw some stuff floating around on social media yesterday that somehow the dairy industry in Canada just got crushed because of this new deal, and we're talking about 3.6% of market access. I don't, I mean, that, if you're talking 3.6 of 38 million people, that comes down to 1.4 million. You just gave us access to 1.4 million of your people. So I'd say it's probably gonna work out. As you said, we're gonna be taking a whole bunch more canola and Durham wheat and various other things from the Canadian provinces. Uh, North America is stronger when we have a good agreement. And I have actually pointed out it's to both Canada and the United States best interest to have Mexico continuing to evolve positively as an economy because they now take chicken and corn and pork from the United States that they didn't buy 20 years ago. Farm Bureau tells us that, this is a big number to be honest with you, that before NAFTA, the trade between the uh, three countries was $9 billion and now it's $39 billion. Since 1993, U.S. agricultural exports to Canada and Mexico have increased from $9 billion to $39 billion. So in 25 years, we just put 30 more billion of ag exports because of the NAFTA situation. So I think it's ultimately good, and I'm glad it got worked out. Closing thoughts on that? Well, you know, it's all good. I, there's another point from our end, uh, from our neighborhood. Uh, we ship all kinds of U.S. barley down to uh, Mexico, and they make Corona beer out of it and send it back to us. And, and, and you're happy there in North Dakota on those beautiful winter days when it's 40 below zero, you drink a Corona, sitting in your hot tub, and you pretend you're on vacation somewhere warm and sunny, don't you? Well, it's always comforting knowing where that barley came from. 
Here's where, dear listener, uh, and by the way, if you forgot, this is Dennis Haugen, uh, ag man of Hannaford, North Dakota, and we're talking about the distorted reality that I believe that's been overstated, the issue of the tariffs, and also I believe that we are going to be getting through these. The European Union, just this summer, European Union finally said we're going to get more agreeable on bringing in exports of things like soybeans. Now, when you look at what NAFTA, or the USMCA as it's called, did, it strengthens North America and also puts these other countries on notice, damn, we better start getting in there. The United States is 25% of global economy. The GDP, one-fourth of the world's GDP happens here. The European Union, I believe, is going to become more open to us and less protected. You know that, if you didn't know this, dear listener, the soybeans from the United States were basically banned from exporting to Europe, and it was because of GMO, but it wasn't really because of GMO technology. It was because European countries and soybean producers realized if they played the GMO card hard enough, they could scare their own, their own countries and their own consumers into thinking that they didn't want U.S. soybeans. It was protectionism is all it was. Am I right? That's right. Another thing that uh, I can keep an eye on that uh, you know the general public isn't aware of is that the European Union, including England and the Eastern Europe, had a horrible drought this year, and they are short. So they will need our product. Also, Japan. There's talk about Japan coming on board. So what happened with this new NAFTA created sort of a, a shall we say, a little bit of urgency within these other countries. The European Union is probably going to get more agreeable, and Japan is probably going to hop in. Japan obviously has been arch enemies with China for hundreds of years, and they really need to be a little more cozy with the United States. I see this as a reason for them to get more cozy with us. Your thoughts? Yeah, I could see that. And, uh, you know, it's the other issue that a lot of people aren't aware of right now is we've got a major drought going on in Australia. Japan gets a lot of agricultural products from Australia, and this year they're going to be sold out more, basically. Okay, so that means those bushel demand come back here to North America. Correct. Uh, interesting, when I pulled this article from the Farm Bureau discussing their push, they, of course, are you know urging people in government, the government officials, to really consider whatever we can do to get more uh, trade going. And it pointed out here that Japan is actively negotiating trade agreements with many of our biggest competitors, but they have started coming more cozy with us. As we just said, Australia can't feed them. They're going to need to look to the United States or Canada. Interesting also, I did circle this. In this article from Farm Bureau, the European Union, Canada, and Mexico all have implemented retaliatory tariffs in response to the United States steel and aluminum tariffs. And those stay with the new NAFTA. It's interesting, both Mexico and Canada and the European, all three of them, put heavy tariffs on whiskey. So it's really interesting that they, they've all singled out American whiskey to retaliate against. Uh, why is that? Well, Maybe it's uh, it's an easy way to bring public awareness with because a lot of people drink whiskey, maybe. I don't know. Actually, I was thinking that from the standpoint of uh, being better at the whole battle, we should try and just send whiskey over there for free because people are always a little easier after the whiskey. But maybe not at first. If it's a physical, if it's a if it's a physical situation, I've had to I've had to be in bar fights with guys that were in the Jack Daniels. And it gets pretty it gets pretty tough there for a while. <laughs> All right, talking to Dennis Haugen about the distorted reality. Are we really as bad off? Now we're going to move into this. The last topic on U.S.-Mexico-Canada alliance and the former NAFTA, as it were. I believe the big goal is to push back at China, 
because they're going to say, wait a minute, now that North America has got this strength in their trade agreement, and now there's even talk of resurrecting TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, Japan wants to cozy up the United States because they have to, and then there's the European Union, European Union finally getting more agreeable, China is going to be pushed into a corner and realize, oh my heavens. Dennis, you and I talked before we started recording that most Americans don't keep up with the Shanghai Index. Let me just tell you, before you convince yourself, dear listener, that we need to be kowtowing to China, our economy is still bigger than theirs. Our stock market is up 10% year to date. China's is down 15 to 16% year to date. Did you just hear that? Our global economy is bigger and stronger than it's been a long time. And we here in the United States are doing better than China. We're up 10% as an economy in terms of our stock market valuation. Shanghai is down 16, 15 to 16%. I have heard and read that China is censoring, censoring any articles that fashion their economy as bad off as it is because they don't want to be widespread panic among their 1.4 billion people. Dennis, thoughts on that? Well, you know, it all gets back to and the market's always right. I mean, the U.S. lays out another round of, uh, of tariffs and our stock market goes up. You know, I just, you know, we mentioned, we talked, uh, t- touched on that here a bit ago. You know, the market is always right. And the, the stock market is liking this. It's, it's looking to the future and it sees a good coming on. Um, on the other hand, over China, I mean, they're, they're, those people are suffering right now. And you, you just have to one glance at their Shanghai stock market will tell you what's going on. Okay. I've said that this episode is called Distorted Reality because I believe that some people have maybe started apportioning blame to where it really wasn't due just because they wanted to be mad at somebody, some person, something. Farmers are hurting a little bit. And I think we can all admit that, yes, it's, it's not certainly like it was five years ago where you're just out here just, man, just money was rolling in. Uh, cash rents are still high. Input costs are up there. But I believe this has been overstated also. I believe there's a bit of distorted reality here. I read some of the articles that are more, again, from a hard anti-modern agriculture angle stating these poor farmers are losing their farms because of Trump's tariffs. Any reality to that, Dennis Haugen? You don't lose your farm overnight. I mean, it's, you know, the U.S. farm economy has been in a hangover for the last couple of years, and that happens when you have $13 beans and $7 corn. I mean, all the input prices went up, and the grain market is a lot more fluid. That came down in a hurry with supply and demand, but, you know, our input costs, they don't move quite so fast. Uh, incidentally, your, your assertion that the market is always right I should point out that if you really believe this is all about tariffs, I say, okay, great. Let's just remove every tariff that there is right now. And do you believe that corn will be back at $7 or soybeans will be back at $13.50? And the answer, of course, is no. <laughs> okay. Thank you for saying It's a supply and demand thing. I mean, I, you know, I could see, I could see, you know, if this tariff thing was, this China issue was uh, settled tomorrow, I could see another dollar on the soybean market. Um, it wouldn't surprise me a bit, but I just, you know, it's, it all gets back down to supply and demand and the problem, you know, I mean, we're looking at a pretty large, these large crops and that's taking precedence over everything else. Which brings me to pricing issues as a farm person like you and me, we've been around our whole life. There has always been this issue of low prices. At least that's been the predominant. I tell everybody, this is normal. 
these days are normal. It's our super cycles that are the exception to the rule. And they happen every 20 to 30 years. You have these super cycles. They last five, seven years. We have the super 70s. You know, around here we call it the corn, beans, and Florida uh, farmers. Planted corn and beans in April and May. And by God, by November, you're all harvested and you hopped in your Cadillac and drove to Florida. And that lasted for what, five, six, seven years. There's always been this because production always catches up. And I would point out, if you're convinced that tariffs are, are our only issue right now, it's not a supply issue, as Dennis and I are pointing out. In 1990s, when corn was in the $1.60 to $1.82 range, for what, five years? When corn was $1.60 to $1.80, for essentially from the 80s through almost till the end of the 90s, early 2000s, were tariffs the reason for that 20-year spell of $1.80 to $1.60, $1.80 corn? And the answer, of course, is... No, you know, it's, I mean, we were looking at $5 beans too, you know, I mean, it's a supply and demand thing. I went to, uh, because I'm not insensitive, certainly, and again, I'm a, I'm a farm kid, and I'm related to farmers, and I work with farmers, and I speak to farmers all over North America, so I keep up with what's happening out here. Trump's uh, administration with Sonny Purdue announced a $12 billion market facilitation program, and I'm sure that many people listening to this are familiar with it, and if you did not go to the hearings. I actually went to one of the meetings here in my local community and they did give the presentation. You can go on and you can just probably Google market facilitation program USDA and you can get the information you need. The government has announced $12 billion and they're going to spend half of that or so immediately, largely toward uh, soybeans and a little bit toward wheat. You're going to get half of a dollar sixty-five, eighty-two cents per bushel for your soybeans as soon as you harvest them. And the way it reads is on our on or about December 3rd of 2018, uh, CCC, which is what? Commodity Credit Corporation, right? Yep. Will announce a second payment rate, if applicable, that will apply to the remaining 50% of the producer's production. Dennis, your thought on the market facilitation program? Well, it's, it's a little bit of a consoling gesture to, you know, to help out because the soybeans were take the major hit. I mean, but what was the amount for corn? It was one cent. And then you're going to get half of that. So if you're out here at the USDA average of 181 bushels, you're going to get, you're going to get 90 bushels worth at one cent, which if not my math is correct, that's 90 cents, right? <laughs> so right. 90 cents, 90 cents. Yeah. So you're not going to get a whole hell of a lot per acre. You're going to get about less than a dollar an acre. Uh, if you're at that, uh, if you're at that number, so it means if you're a big farmer like you, and you got a, you know, two thousand acres of corn, you're you're going to get uh, two thousand dollars. Is that going to right your ship? Well, yeah, and, but you know, I mean, it was it was kind of a, a gesture to you know keep the farmers, you know, or bearing the brunt of this this trade war. But you know, if you were a good marketing guy, you had a fair amount of your soybeans sold before this low prices came along. And so if you sold at $10.50 before these low prices came along, before we started realizing what our supply was going to look like, and then you're getting 82 cents on top of that, that puts you in that, goodness sakes, $11.30 range. That's a heck of a number. So even if your second half of your soybeans are selling at cash price today of, say, 8 bucks, you're at eight eighty-two on those, and you're at uh, uh, $11.30 on the others, that's a pretty good mixed average right there that's going to make you profitable. It's not bad at all, really. Uh, do you see a do you see a future where we're going to have government programs uh, like we have with PIC 
and 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 uh, LDP. I mean, we've seen these for years. Are we going? Are we now back in the realm of government programs are are basically going to fix our profit margin? I do not think so at all because. One of the major dynamics of agriculture that has changed in the last 20 years is just-in-time economics. We have, we don't have the stocks anymore, the, the, the oversupply of grain, the three years grain on storage anymore. That's, that's, that's a thing of the past. The market is, you know, watches the supply and demand and it's, it performs accordingly and I just, I just don't think it's possible for us to get back in that situation again. Yeah, there's also, we've continued to talk about the fact that we've got more consumption just because people making more money across the globe than they eat better, and that it does help on our uh, consumption. But I had also pointed out five years ago when, you know, when it was the, the gravy days, I said, don't keep telling yourself that these gravy days will never end because again, production always catches up. I made a bold prediction, Dennis, uh, back when uh, someone was arguing with me uh, that we were going to see uh, $9 soybeans by Halloween. Is that is that going to happen? Oh, I'd struggle with that a little bit, but I do know one thing. That's four uh, weeks from today. I do know one thing. I, I, I really doubt that. But we do have harvest at a standstill in the U.S. right now, and the mar that is making the market a little bit nervous. All this wet weather, I mean, it's, there's another five inches predicted for the corn belt. It's gonna be issues with harvest, it's gonna slow things down. But the one thing that really caught my eye in a Reuters news report yesterday, that was out yesterday, was China has enough soybeans on hand to get them into January, okay? But, South American new crop is not going to be ready for export till the first March. So there's about a six to eight week window where they need product because they are not going to stop eating. So where does that product come from? Good question. That's why this whole thing with China will be worked out by January 1st, will it not? That's my assumption for what it's worth. Other bold predictions you want to make? You're saying that the China thing is resolved by January 1st just because of they are going to have a need for food product and they, they know it. What's your other bold prediction? Anything else? Well, the next, uh, you know, the next 12 months is actually going to be kind of interesting. You know, we, the EU had a short crop this year. China had a short crop. Uh, Australia is in the midst of a short crop. I mean, the moon and stars are lining up for the demand side of things to kick into gear. I know, okay. you know, so since don't, we start, we start don't hang, yeah, don't hang all your, all your hats out of my opinion, but that's one person's opinion, mine. Uh, well, you're, you're out there, you're active. I said that we were going to tell, we're going to call the show Distorted Reality, the effect of tariffs and trade, maybe because I believe it's been overstated that tariffs are the reason, and we've talked again and again, you and I have, that really know it's the marketplace, it's the, it's the issue of supply versus consumption. So the tariffs go away, we're still not going to create any new consumption. Are we going to see $10.50 soybeans in the next year? You know, if we have a drought in South America, it could be 11 bucks. Yeah, that's the only way it happens with a weather scare. Tariffs have nothing to do with it. And I say it's going to have to be because the, the production is way hurt because of weather problems in some part of the world that's majorly contributing. And, and then we're going to see something. As far as this wetness that you're talking about happening through where I live or where you live, 
you know, what if we just peel two bushels per acre off of those estimates because of damage, because of wet, because of flooded, because of can't get to the field until January when it freezes hard? What's that do for us? Well, it's all about supply and demand, right? You've said that several times. I'm talking to Dennis Haugen. This was distorted reality, the effects of tariffs and trade. And basically, if you haven't figured it out, Mr. Haugen and I both have the opinion that the consumption and the production are more of what we're talking about dealing with these prices than the political. Now, the political does matter, and we do know that trade is good. I also am very optimistic. When the USMCA was announced, and then finally, if it gets approved by Congress, and I think it's going to be really hard for them not to do it, to go, to, to go back to their districts and say, I didn't approve this because I hate Trump. They're going to say, well, wait a minute. We like trade. We like jobs. We like all. So I think that will get passed through. Then we're talking about a revised TPP, a European Union that's more interested in dealing with us now, and a Japan that's probably going to have to because of Australia's problems. I think we're going to be fine. We just got a little bit more, a little bit more squeaky time to get through. Your closing thoughts. Well, I, I totally agree with you on what you what just said there. Uh... Uh, Damien and I, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, we are in a global market. I mean, we've got logistics now. We can we can ship grain. Any countries can ship grain anywhere in the world, uh, basically in a short period of time. I mean, it's not like it was 20 years ago. I mean, we're we're living in a new age of of uh, you know, efficient transportation and and like I mentioned earlier, just in time economics. Fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, this was a couple of years ago. What's that? There was a couple of years ago, there was corn coming to the United States from South America because they could put it on a boat and they could get it to the Port of Houston for 50 cents a bushel. Would you go out and plant corn for 50, to make 50 cents a bushel on it? Well, I'm just saying, if the U.S. corn market got too high, they could buy it out of South America for a little less money yeah. and get it shipped here to boot. Right. All right. We could talk all day. This is my friend, Dennis Haugen. He's a friend of the show. Distorted reality. We're talking tariffs. We're talking trade. We're talking what's real, what's not. Are we really out here losing farms because of tariffs? Is United States, Mexico, Canada alliance going to be good? I believe it is going to be good for everybody. Is it really going to overstate it? I'm sorry, Canadian friends. You guys are getting a little bit overreactive. I don't think it's going to be the demise of your industry. In fact, I think a lot of your stuff's going to start coming this way. You listen to the business of agriculture. Tune in next time. We'll do it again. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dennis. Have a good day.